The biblical reading for today is from Genesis chapter 29. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what, should you, should, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob went into her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her maid. When morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, This is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also, in return for serving me for another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Fifty years ago, in late June and early July of 1970, the Lutheran Church in America met for its churchwide convention. Nearly 20 years later, that church body would merge with several others to become the ELCA, the denomination of which Holy Spirit Lutheran Church is a part. But in 1970, the biggest item on the agenda was not a merger. It was the ordination of women. Lutheran women had been ordained in other places in the world, in Sweden, for example, since 1958, but not in the United States. After discussion and debate and prayer, a proposal was made to change one word in a bylaw. Until that day, the description of a minister read like this, Minister of this church shall be a man whose soundness in the faith, aptness to teach, and educational qualifications have been examined and approved in the manner prescribed in the Constitution and who has been properly ordained. It's very bylaw kind of language, isn't it? The proposal that day was to change the word man to the word person. And by voice vote, the proposal passed. Which makes this year, 2020, the 50th anniversary of the ordination of women, Lutheran women, in the United States. Now that sounds great, and quite naturally, I think it is, but it's not the whole story. 
Because even though that vote approved the ordination of all women, it wasn't until nearly 10 years later that the first woman of color was ordained into ministry in a Lutheran congregation, the Reverend Lydia Rivera Kalb, who was the first Latina woman, and the Reverend Erlene Miller, the first woman of African descent. And that's still not the whole story because then it was not until 2009 that the ELCA approved the ordination of openly gay and lesbian men and women, while barriers are still being broken for transgender and bisexual pastors. Now, I share all this with you partly because a 50th anniversary is a big thing. It's a big year to celebrate the ordination of, of women into the ministry of word and sacrament in the Lutheran tradition. But also because even within that celebration, there are stories yet to be told. There are barriers yet to be broken. There are names we don't know. So if I just say, this year marks the 50th anniversary of the ordination of women in the Lutheran church, yay! I'm not actually telling you the whole story. I'm leaving out the lives and the experiences and the stories of women who weren't ordained for 10 years after that or 40 years after that and all those who are still struggling to be their whole true selves and to serve as ordained ministers in the church. Whose stories get told? It makes a difference, doesn't it? I'm thinking of all of this partly because the story we hear today is mostly told as part of the story of Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac and Rebekah, and Isaac was the son of Abraham and Sarah, and we have been telling the stories of these families this summer. But for the most part, we've been telling the stories of the men in those families. Now, it's not all bad, of course. The Bible tells the stories primarily in that same way. God often says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, as a reminder of God's faithfulness to these extremely messy, imperfect, often foolish families over many generations. But God is also the God of Sarah and Hagar and Rebekah and Rachel and Leah. And their stories don't get as much space, either in the Bible or in our biblical imaginations. But when we don't incorporate their experiences, when we don't listen to their voices, when we don't ask questions about the women in these stories, we're not hearing the whole full story of the people of God. There's no question that the Bible was written in times and places where men mostly wielded the power. And so men told the stories, they wrote the histories. And those stories included some voices and excluded others. For example, biblical scholar Dr. Will Gaffney points out that Hagar, this young woman from Egypt who was Abraham and Sarah's slave, Dr. Gaffney points out that it's unlikely that Hagar is this actual young woman's name because Hagar is a Hebrew word that means literally foreign thing. So Dr. Gaffney writes, I very much doubt that her Egyptian parents gave her such a name. 
it's more likely that Hagar is what she was called after she entered a Hebrew-speaking household. Like men and women who were enslaved throughout the world and for many generations, including in our own nation, Hagar did not get to keep her own name. Which means, we will never know the name her mother gave her. One she probably held close to her heart in a land far from home. We know a little something more about Sarah. We know that her name was first Sarai, and that like her husband, her name was changed to reflect the promises that God made to both of them, that they would have offspring in a land. We also know that Sarah participated in enslaving Hagar and forcing her to bear a child, Ishmael, whom Sarah and Abraham took to be their own son. We know that Sarah laughed in the face of God's promise that she, in her old age, would bear a son. We know that she and Abraham Abraham named that son Isaac, after his mother's laughter. But we know nothing about how Sarah experienced the near sacrifice of that same son, the day Abraham took him out on a walk to the mountain, following God's command, that he kill his own son to demonstrate his faithfulness. The story tells us about Abraham and Isaac walking slowly together for days, wondering what would happen, but Sarah, of her during that time, we know nothing at all. We know that Isaac grows up to marry Rebekah, that they meet at a well, which is a clue in the Old Testament that people are going to marry. Watch out anytime somebody meets somebody at a well. A wedding is almost always going to follow. But their story of meeting is told from Isaac's perspective and that of Isaac's uncle Laban. Rebecca does agree to marry Isaac. They do at least ask her. But she says almost nothing else until she bears twin boys, Jacob and Esau, and reveals that Jacob, the younger one, is actually her favorite kid. She helps Jacob steal his older brother's blessing. She sends Jacob away when Esau is furious and looking to kill him. Why did she do any of that? We don't know. And that brings us to the women in today's story, Rachel and Leah. Two sisters described and reduced mostly to their appearances. Rachel, who the story says is beautiful, and Leah, who has unusual eyes, which is about the best translation we can make of this strange Hebrew phrase. These women are mostly treated as pawns in a game between Jacob and Laban. Jacob wants to marry Rachel, but Laban sends Leah instead, and somehow Jacob doesn't realize which sister he is sleeping with until the morning light I'm guessing that was a raging party the night before, and the whole thing is a huge mess. So why the story? Maybe it's there to show how Jacob, the trickster, has finally tricked himself. Maybe it's there to remind us that God has always and will always heal and mend the world through imperfect, flawed, sometimes deeply messed up human beings. Maybe it's there to show us 
how much of a disaster Jacob's life is becoming so that as we read later about the reconciliation in his family, we understand how transformative God's justice and mercy and forgiveness can be. But there will always be something missing from these stories because we'll never know Hagar's real name. And we'll never know how Sarah really felt when her husband and son walked away, very probably for what she thought was the last time. And we'll never really know what Rebecca thought at the well that day, or how Rachel and Leah lived with the dishonesty of their father and the inequalities in their marriages. We can try to imagine, but we'll never really know because nobody told their stories. Nobody listened. And it begs the question, whose stories aren't getting told today? Who's missing from our histories? Whose voices, whose experiences, whose heartaches, whose names, whose perspectives, whose histories never get told? Whose voices have we erased? whose names are lost forever? Who is missing? And by extension, how is the truth then not being spoken in all of its fullness? Because we've only heard half the story at best. The Bible in its storytelling, to be perfectly honest, makes many of the same mistakes we still make. And Sarah and Hagar and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah are here to tell us that. But they and their biblical sisters also have a few things more for us. One, that as imperfect and inequitable as these stories are, the women are still a crucial part of them. God's promise isn't just for Abraham, it's for Sarah too. And Hagar, whose true name we never do know, is the only person in the entire Bible who gets to give God a name. The God who sees, she says. There's no future for the line of Abraham and Isaac without Rachel and Leah. There's no King David without Ruth, the immigrant from Moab. David's assault of Bathsheba will not be ignored by God. Rizpah will stand watch over her murdered sons until David buries them with dignity and respect. Did you know the longest theological conversation Jesus has with anybody is the one he has with an unnamed woman at a well in Samaria? And that the Gospels remind us it's Mary and Martha of Bethany who are two of Jesus' best friends. And finally, don't forget that when it came time to entrust the world-shaking, status quo-ending, totally unexpected news of Jesus' resurrection, it was the women that Jesus asked to go and tell. Because it was the women who showed up at the tomb, ready to anoint the body. And so it was the women who became the first gospel preachers, even if the men refused to believe them until they could prove it for themselves. All of which is simply to say, it's probably exactly the voices we ignore, the histories we erase, 
the names we never learn, the stories we don't tell, the lives we don't listen to, that is exactly where the gospel is found. So that part of the work of being the people of God is actively seeking out those stories and listening to the challenge and the hope woven into them. And that sometimes we need to silence ourselves and our version of the story long enough to hear the truth in all its fullness. We may always wish that Sarah and Hagar, Rebecca and Rachel and Leah and Mary Magdalene and Rizpah and Bathsheba and Ruth and their descendants in faith got to say more in the stories we read. But do not be mistaken. They will not be ignored. And the question they are still asking across the years requires an answer from us now. Whose stories are being ignored today? And how might God find us when we are willing to listen? Open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds, O oh God, to you. Amen.